We're continuing our Advent series. We're tracing these, these lines of beautiful biblical theology through the Bible from beginning to end. And so today, it's my joy and privilege to share with you how Christ brings us joy because he is the dawn of a new creation. He's the beginning of a new creation. Luke chapter 2 uh, tells us when Jesus was was being proclaimed by angels, the joy of heaven was splitting the skies, heralding this message, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's in that same joy, it's in that same rejoicing, it's in that same worship that we hear the word of God this morning. First, Jeremiah is going to come and read to us from Genesis chapter 1, and these are the opening words of the Bible. They set the stage for everything that follows. In the beginning, God made everything. God made humanity. He made us male and female. He blessed us, and all that God made was very good. And God rejoiced over all that he had made, and he gave us good purposes to fulfill, to mirror his dominion, to, to fill the earth with people who loved him and worshipped him and served him. But humans didn't do that. So our second scripture reading, read by Judah, is from Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul describes how each human being falls short of what God intended for us by exchanging the glory of God for the worship of created things. That's called idolatry. That's sin. Not worshipping God but loving and treasuring the things that God has made. And Romans helps us to understand that this exchange is not just a choice, it's not just a behavior pattern, it's an actual identity. It affects our hearts, it affects our minds, and it affects our bodies. It's who we are. We're not who we should be. We are sinners. And we can't get out of that state by ourselves. We need outside help. We need a Savior. And so John Chapter 1, read by Jane, will show us how Jesus is that Savior. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus stepped into that world without hope. And in him was real life, real eternal life, real light. And he opened up a way that we could be united with him and born again to his glorious resurrection life. And then our final text, read by Isaac, is, is just a beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians where Paul clearly states this reality. If you belong to Jesus and you are joined to him in repentance and faith, you are a new creation. Only in Christ can we be who God made us to be, be pleasing to God, and live a life of worship to him. So together, now, let's give our attention to the word of God. Jeremiah, will you come forward? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make man in our, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill it and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you, given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every, every one that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Romans 18 to 25. I mean, Romans 1, 18 to 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteous of men who by their unrighteous suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they without are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became fertile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and the creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, in the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. John 1, 1-14 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of man. The sh light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that, he all, or that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him was believed in his name, and he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Thank you, Jeremiah, Judah, Jane, and Isaac. Good job. Now, the story of the entire universe starts like this. Kids, you can say it with me. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens 
and the earth. There's so much packed into that one opening statement. God is the one true God, and he's a creator. He makes good things. He made the earth where we live, and then he made the solar system where the earth is one of several planets. And then he made the sun, and he put our sun in a galaxy called the Milky Way. There's at least another hundred billion stars in the Milky Way. Kids, have you ever been outside on a really dark night in a in a good, clear place and seen a band, like a dusty band of light across the sky? That's our galaxy. Hundreds of millions of stars. God made other galaxies too, right? In fact, we think he made in the ballpark of two billion other galaxies. So there are hundreds of millions of billions of stars, and God made them all. The universe shows that God is wise, and he's powerful, and he can fill the sky with billions and billions of beautiful, brilliant, burning balls of light called stars. God is the creator, and he fills the universe with his glory. Genesis 1-2 says that the earth was without form and void. That means empty, without form and void. That's how it started out. And so God formed the earth like you might form a ball of modeling clay. He drew up the mountains, and he hollowed out the vast expanse of the seas. And after God formed the earth, then he he filled it with life, just like he filled the skies with stars. God made plants. He made mosses and ferns and bushes and trees and flowers and fruits. Kids, what's your favorite kind of fruit? Can you call? Yeah, peaches are awesome. What else? Watermelon, yeah. Now think about it. God could have made just vegetables. But God made fruit in abundance. There are thousands of different kinds of fruits, and they're good. They're made by a good, wise God. God filled the earth with plants. And God also filled the earth with animals. I love this verse, uh, Genesis 1, 20 and 21. God said... Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Isn't that, doesn't that big bring you pictures in your mind? Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. I love that. Have you ever been in a swarm of living creatures? One time I was uh, with my family at the beach a couple years ago, and the seas were calm enough at the ocean that I launched my kayak out past the breakers, and I, and I sat there in the swells, just gently going up and down in the sparkling water of the summer sun, and I saw off to my right a dark shape, a dark shape in the water about the size of a football field, and I knew what that was, and so I paddled over there. It was a school of fish. There were thousands and thousands of fish flashing and darting and swirling underneath me and around me. Some of them were actually bumping into the bottom of my kayak. It was so cool, and then here's why they were all herded up. A pod of two dolphins came towards me. I could see them coming up and breathing. And as they got close to me, one of them lifted up a little higher out of the water so its eye could focus on me in the air instead of underwater. And then they dove down underneath and I could see their powerful bodies kind of zooming underneath me. And the, you know, the, the, the light from the waves was kind of shimmering on them. And then on the other side of this, this pod of fish, this, uh, this school of fish, an osprey came down out of the air and snatched a fish and carried it off, presumably, to uh, feed its family. 
And I was surrounded by life. The sea was teeming with life, just like God intended. God filled the earth with living creatures. God is the all-wise creator, and what he makes is good. Now think about it. God filled the earth with life. He made birds and bugs and fish and reptiles, amphibians, mammals, big animals, small animals, everything in between. They're everywhere, right? Now, did God just make one or two of these animals? No, he filled the earth with birds. He filled the fish with, or the seas with fish. He filled the land with animals. But there was one special creature whom the creator God only made two. Very different the way God made humans. He did not make millions of humans all at once. He made one man and he made one woman, right? Adam and Eve. Yes, you got it. Why just one man? Why just one woman? Because God had a special plan, a special gift, a special position, a special role for this one man and this one woman. Remember, God's the one who formed the universe. He formed the earth. He shaped it. God's the one who filled the universe. He filled the universe. He, the stars with, excuse me, the sky with stars. And he filled the earth with living creatures. And we can see in Genesis 1 how God shares that wise and creative role with the people he made. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, we just heard a few minutes ago. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You just hear that repeated over, over, over. Dominion, dominion. So God is saying, let the humans have leadership. Let the, the humans have a shaping, a forming role. Let the, leader, let the humans have, have a, a, a role in shaping the earth just like I've shaped the earth. God is giving his qualities of dominion to the humans. God is saying, you can be my representatives. Go and shape the earth with glory and kindness and wisdom and blessing. God had filled the earth. He'd also filled the earth with his generosity and creativity and beauty and abundance. And he was also calling humans to follow his lead and fill the earth with his goodness, fill the earth with people. God made this one man. He made this one woman. And he brought them together in a tender and a fruitful union. We can see later in Genesis 2 that God was giving humanity the blessing of marriage. He was giving them this lifelong sacred union of one man and one woman. This was God's good plan for humans to be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that. Men can't do that alone. Women can't do that alone. They need fruitful union. And so 
Uh, Kids, if you're sitting here this morning, you are part of God's call on humanity to be fruitful and multiply. We see your life as a gift from God, a gift from a loving creator who has allowed people to be fruitful and multiply in obedience to his command. So we celebrate your life. And God has made you male and female on purpose. If you're a boy here today, you're going to grow up to be a man. That's God's good plan. It is good to be a man made by God, created for his purposes. If you're a girl, you're going to grow up to be a woman. It is good to be a woman. That is God's good purpose. It's right here in Genesis, in creation. Now, gender is God's good design. Marriage is God's good design. And God is the creator who forms and fills the people of his earth, to follow him. We were created to follow the lead of God. We were created to form and fill the earth in response to his generosity and goodness. So think about how beautiful the earth should be because of humanity. Think of how lovely and wonderful the earth should be because of humans forming and filling the earth, following God's good design. There should literally be happy thankful people everywhere, everywhere. There should be beautiful art. There should be stunning architecture because of the glory and wisdom of God. There should be music and singing, laughter, worship, praising our creator for who he is, his generosity. There should be holy, flourishing marriages between one man and one woman. There should be happy, healthy families where children are loved and nurtured and always protected and always provided for. There should be people who receive the abundance of God and share it generously with everyone around them. There should be literature and math and science and philosophy celebrating and exploring the expanses of the glorious universe that God in his wisdom and beauty has made for our enjoyment. There should be governments filled with justice and righteousness and equality and dignity for every citizen. There should be dancing and laughing and rejoicing and feasting. There should be obedience everywhere to the one who made us, the good God who blessed us and gave us a good earth to enjoy. I want to live in that kind of world. Don't you? I want to live in that kind of world. And by God's grace, we do see some snatches of that. I hope your day tomorrow is is a, a picture of that, that kind of beauty and joy as you celebrate Christ together. But primarily, when we watch the news, we don't see that kind of world around us. Why don't we live there? Why can't we form the earth like that? Why can't we fill the earth like that? Why has every civilization, every culture, every government, every nation, and every family failed to create that kind of beauty and that kind of harmony and peace? What is wrong with the world? What's wrong with humans? What's wrong with me? And what's wrong with you? Well, the problem, of course, is sin. Sin has turned our forming and our filling of the earth completely upside down. It's broken it. 
We were supposed to, supposed to form the earth in submission to God's dominion. We were supposed to fill the earth, not out of ourselves, but out of God's abundance. But the first sin in the garden and every sin thereafter makes a terrible exchange, a horrible substitution. You turn away from something and you get something else. That's what a substitution is. Instead of treasuring and receiving the goodness of the Creator, sin treasures created things. Think about that. How twisted that is. Instead of Receiving and responding to the goodness of the Creator, sin treasures created things, things that can't empower us, things that can't sustain us for the forming and the filling work that God intended. And we saw that terrible exchange in Romans. Romans starting 1, starting in verse 21, For although corrupt humans knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal creator God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is the problem. This is why society cannot perfect itself, because all have sinned, and every sin is an act of rebellion against the good purposes of our Creator God. Every sin comes from a heart that chooses to love and worship created things instead of the Creator. So when we sin, we're not forming and filling the earth according to God's good design. We are forming and filling the earth according to lies, according to foolishness. Verse 24 says that when we in our minds become darkened by lies, then God gives us over. So think about how comprehensive this is. When we, we give our minds over to lies, God gives sinners over to the lust of their hearts and the, to the dishonoring of our bodies. So do you see how holistic this is? This touches every part of us. Heart, mind, body. It makes us love and worship other things like power or pleasure. And so we're not building God's kingdom. We're building our little kingdoms of power. We're building our little kingdoms of pleasure. That's what sin is doing. So it fills our minds with lies, our hearts with evil desires, and uses our bodies to form and to fill the earth with sad and hurtful things. We're guilty. We're guilty before a holy God for how we treat him, how we treat others, how we treat the earth, how we treat ourselves. And here's the crazy thing. You don't have to teach this. Because like DNA, sin is passed on from generation to generation. Kids, have any of you gone to sin school? No. Have you had a class in school that was called Getting Angry 101? No. Who, but who among us have at one time or another been sinfully angry, angry at a brother or sister? Who's been sinfully angry at a brother or sister? Did you, have to, did you have to learn that? Or was it just in you? It's just in us. It's called indwelling sin. And it came from Adam and Eve, was passed on to their kids, and passed on to us. Sin is something that is so sticky, so tangled up, so powerful, so pervasive that it goes from generation to generation. 
And this is, this is really what the, the story of human history is. It's a story of sinners who have kids who are also sinners, who have children who are also sinners. Can you see how hopeless that is? That cycle keeps perpetuating. You can't break it from the inside because it just keeps going and going. Only someone from outside could come in and break this cycle of indwelling sin, generation after generation. We need a rescuer. We need someone who can come into this mess and restore our ability to relate to God rightly and to relate to what he's made rightly. Now, thinking about how helpless we are on our own, this generation after generation of sinners, if there were such a helper who could come and fix what's broken in us and fix it forever, wouldn't that be good news? Yes. There's only one being in the universe who can fix us. And he's the one who made us. That's why he can fix us. Now, does he see the broken mess of the world that we have formed and filled by sin? Does he see how we failed again and again? Does he see how generation after generation is hopelessly locked in sin? Does he know the depths of our rebellion and our idolatry? Will he still come to help us after what a mess we've made together? We hurt each other so much. What if he comes and we hurt him? What if we, he comes and we mock him? And we hate him. Will he still come? What if he comes and we kill him? Will he still come if we kill him? Will he still come and help us? Will he still come and offer to fix what's broken in us? Will he come and offer to remake us and who he wanted us to be? He's our only hope. Will he still come? Yes. Yes, he will. Jesus Christ is the yes and amen to all of those questions. We celebrate celebrate Christmas because Jesus, in the face of all that opposition, still comes to earth. John 1, 1 through 5 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Us. Hallelujah. We needed a new beginning. Jesus, the Word made flesh, is that beginning. We needed new life. Jesus is that new life. We needed light in our darkness. Jesus is that light in our darkness. We needed new flesh. Jesus took on flesh for you, for me. 
Jesus bore a human body, fully human in every way, and yet fully God in every way. Now think about Jesus and how different he was from the people you meet every day. Jesus was, in one way, very relatable, very very familiar, and yet he was otherworldly. Otherworldly. Think about how different he was from you and me. So he was tempted in every way and never sinned, never caved, never gave in. He faced the temptation of Satan himself face to face. He said, no. He's the true and better Adam. Jesus never swayed from honoring God. He couldn't be seduced. He couldn't be deceived. He couldn't be overcome. Jesus knew the scriptures like nobody before or since. Think about him at age 12. He was in the temple, and the teachers, the experts in the law, began asking him for answers, began looking to him for direction. Jesus, age 12, master of the scriptures. His ability to speak truth was unparalleled. He could, with compassion, cut to the heart. He had a voice that could both comfort the broken and yet confound the wise, confound the arrogant. Think about how Jesus was not intimidated by anyone, anywhere, at any time. At no point in the gospel readings will you see a point in which Jesus was intimidated or backed down. He was not impressed by the rich. He was not impressed by the famous. He was not impressed by the powerful. Think of the confidence he must have had to stand up to the rich and famous. And yet, there was nobody beneath him. Nobody was beneath Jesus He seemed to be at home most among the humble, the poor, the needy, the hurting, the sick. Think about the power of his commands. At his voice, demons went screaming off into the distance. At his touch, disabled people began to leap and rejoice with thanksgiving. The shredded, mangled skin of lepers was made whole and clean by his healing hands. Think about the the tax collectors who were extortioners, the prostitutes, the sinners who hung out with him. When they encountered him rightly and humbly in repentance, they were cleansed and transformed. Now, in, in those days, kids, children weren't super well regarded. But Jesus was unlike other adults. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't don't forbid them. Jesus blessed children. And in Jesus' presence, children actually praised God uh, better than they knew. Jesus, the presence of Jesus brought praise out of people. So everywhere Jesus went, just think about this life, three years of ministry. Everywhere Jesus went, he left behind him a trail of wholeness and comfort and blessing and worship. But realize he didn't seek in all that his own comfort. He was homeless, unmarried, no kids. 
And yet he wasn't aloof or out of touch or crazy. He was the most sane and whole person you could ever meet. He loved people deeply, and they knew it. Now, at the end of his ministry, Jesus taught his disciples that he would suffer and die in Jerusalem. But did he kind of dance around and drag his feet heading there? No, he took the lead. He charged into Jerusalem towards his death. The disciples were actually scared at his unstoppable advance towards crucifixion and death. Like, who is this guy? Who marches right into the jaws of pain and suffering and death? But in doing that, Jesus was forming the very path by which we too can be saved. So he formed that path in a costly way. The wages of our sin, our rebellion is death. Jesus took our sin, our rebellion upon his shoulders and carried them to the cross. He died both to make an end to those sins, but also to make an end of broken, sinful humanity possible. He died with purpose. He died to bring us the hope of forgiveness and renewal. And then he rose again. Jesus rose again to new life with a new body, a new resurrection body, clothed in immortality. Death couldn't touch him anymore. Sin had no claim on him. And so he rose again so that we can be united to him, so that we can be remade in union with him. Like him, we can have resurrection bodies that can never be broken by sin, broken by cancer, broken by dementia, and never broken by death. The hope of Christmas is an eternal hope. The hope of Christmas includes the hope of a new creation. We see this so clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We praise Jesus Christ for coming into the world as a little baby to bring us that kind of hope, the hope of new creation, eternal life in him. Now, the new creation hope of the Christian is both comprehensive But it's also complicated. It's a hope for right now, and it's also a hope that is deeply to come. It's a hope that is simultaneously global in its scope, and it's also deeply personal for each person who looks to Jesus. So let's start thinking about the effects of this new creation hope for us as individuals now, and then we'll look progressively outward and into the future. What the work and person of Jesus Christ means for you is that you can be remade. You can be remade. John 1, verses 12 and 13 again. To all who did receive him, that means receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can be remade in Jesus Christ. If you come to him and you receive him rightly, if you come to him and you believe in in him rightly, he will give you the right to become children of God. This means no less than agreeing with the Bible that you are personally broken by sin. You don't worship God rightly with your heart, your mind, and your body. 
when you confess that to God and bring that to him in humble obedience and faith, you can be remade spiritually. You can be restored to your role to form and to fill God's good earth in the goodness of what God created us for all the way back in Genesis. And God will give you this role, not as a slave, not as a mere servant, but as sons and daughters filled with his very Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the believer the right to become children of God, part of his family. Now, this is a passage that's speaking about salvation in a plural sense. It's not just talking about an individual, is it? It says, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. So when God remakes your mind, your heart, and your body, he also remakes your family. You have God as father. You have Jesus Christ as brother and the other redeemed saints as brothers and sisters. This means you're not alone. You're not alone in your task of forming and filling God's good earth with his good purposes. We are engaged in that holy mission together. And so he wants the church, God of course wants the church to be a particularly beautiful place of family harmony. A place full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. So when you serve, Christian, when you serve and worship with your brothers and sisters, you are doing what God created you for. God wants to fill the earth with his praise and his goodness together. He, together, he wants us to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. That's a work of forming, right? He wants us to, to encourage one another and to, to help us to grow together. It's a work of forming. But he also wants us to go. He wants us to go into all the earth and tell every family and nation of this new creation hope in Jesus. He wants us to fill the earth until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. Now, our new creation hope extends beyond the grave. This is not a, a hope that's extinguished in death. It's a hope that flares up and burns brighter even after the grave Because one day soon, in just a little while, our all-powerful big brother Jesus is coming back for his people. And he's coming back to finish this new creation work he started. If we are dead at that time, we will be raised with him and given new creation bodies. Everything that's wrong with the world, everything that's wrong with his people, is going to be made right forever. Listen, Jesus knows how to heal. Jesus knows how to cleanse. Jesus knows how to sanctify. He will get rid of every unclean thing. And he will get rid of every unclean person that has not come to him to be made new. But for the church on that day... Each redeemed saint as part of his bride will be presented to Christ like this, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that the church might be holy and without blemish. 
That is the resurrection hope of the people of God. We will have hearts and minds and bodies that will always serve God in loving worship. Always. Sin will have no claim on us anymore. Death will have no claim on us anymore. And so God will empower us to form and fill the new heavens and the new earth free from sin, even better than we could have in Eden. Because the God who in the beginning made the heavens and the earth will bring to pass the promise of Revelation 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the hope we celebrate this Christmas. Let's pray together now. Praise prayers of confession and prayers of repentance and prayers of petition, asking our good creator God to continue his work in his world. So Lord, we lift our hearts to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you left the comforts of heaven for the the pain of earth, that we might leave the pain of earth and be lifted to the new heavens and the new earth with you. Jesus, thank you for taking your people with you into glory, into joy, into goodness, into life. Lord, forgive me for how I treasure the things of this world instead of you. God, give me a heart that loves you and only loves the things of this world because of you, because they are your gifts. Lord, let your gifts, even this this weekend, Lord God, direct us back to you, the giver of all good things. Hear us now as we, we pray prayers of confession and prayers of petition.